Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. In this episode, you will meet Curtis Height, CEO of Improving. Curtis shares several important lessons he has learned along his entrepreneurial journey. Maybe the most important being, believe in yourself but not too much because you're part of a team. Curtis, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on Building Texas Business. All right. Thank you for being, having me here. I appreciate you including me. So let's get started by just you introducing kind of yourself, but more importantly, your company and what it's known for. All right. So Improving is a modern digital services company. I think what we're probably known for most, though, is our uh, participation and leadership in the conscious business movement uh, in the United States and abroad. That's great. What inspired you to start I- improving? Uh, there's actually a story. I consider an origin story here. It's That's good. Bit. We're here for stories. Okay. okay. And I was working two companies ago at uh, Raytheon. It's a very large company, over 100,000 employees. I was very ambitious as a young man. And I had this idea of creating an internal consultancy at uh, Raytheon, had some skill sets that were fairly uh, unique at the time with the technology transition, similar to where we are with AI today, but that was object programming. And so uh, I, I came up with a business plan with my partner there, and we presented it to the leadership. It went all the way up to, to Boston. And when a letter came back, it it included the words or the sentence, tell the software we need to get back to work. Oh, okay. And, and yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of reflected on that, being part of a 100,000-person organization. Those words were never intended. I get that from my eyes, right? It was right. intended for more of the senior uh, executives at the organization. But it kind of inspired me to say, well, wait a minute, maybe I can do something different. This is a good business plan, had developed it on my own, and instead I took that out and found three partners that were already in the industry and started my first business. But that was the first business, but that's how I got started there. I kind of pushed there, and this was after four and a half years of being uh, at this larger company. And then the second story, the origins to this one is rooted in that company. The three partners that there were three partners from Raytheon, three partners from this new business, Xpeed. And in the end, without going into a lot of the details, I felt very maybe betrayed by one of the partners and, and, and maybe misled was the, a better word, very misled and taken advantage of. And I always remembered that feeling. So take the that those two stories plus one more, which was we sold that business to a French organization. We went public during the dot-com days. And after 
several years of running that business, the French business, let me go. And we were experiencing literally record revenues at the time and record profits. Even a majority of the profits of the group were coming out of North America, which I was responsible for. And I remember the shame that I, I felt in that moment and embarrassment and, and all the raw feelings that go with that. And there's a little bit of irony there because I might have been thinking about leaving or trying something new, but that kind of jolted me and I had something to prove. Yeah. I had no intention of going back into the services business again. Yet I found myself with something to prove creating a new services company that was fueled out of shame. And some people may not like yeah. that. Uh, well, yeah. I, you know, it's interesting you say it that way because my sense is if people were really honest about it, they'd probably come to the same conclusion you just did and did years ago is that maybe some shame or embarrassment fueled them to prove something wrong and got them going. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say <clears throat> there's anything wrong because shame if channeled properly, can be a great motivator. It's not the healthiest of feelings. I get that. Right. But it does create a high degree of motivation or demotivation, depending on how you are built. How you let it handle or affect you, right? Right. And so my partner, Rick, in this business, he actually, three or four years in, and we very quickly grew. We went from 600,000 to 2 million to roughly 6.8 to 10 million in our first four years. And he was worried that I would lose the motivation, right? And, and that really didn't happen. It shifted and motivation came from a different place. But in those early years, I remembered the earlier events and, and what can I learn when shape this, shape this company? And I didn't want to mislead anybody. Right. From lesson from lesson uh, two, <laughs> yeah, I I didn't want to feel like a number or anybody to ever feel like a number. I was one three nine six six two. That was my number at the large company, and that's what you would give that number instead of your name, <laughs> right? And I felt a little treated that way when I tell that software we need to get back to work, right? And so when we formed the company, culture was a very important and perhaps one of. I think our greatest accomplishments is that we've been named to over 100 best places to work. We've been number one here in Houston, led by Devlin Wells. We've been number one in, in Dallas. We've been number one in Texas. We've been number one in Ohio. And it's not about being number one because in almost all of our offices we're recognized, but it's just really about the executives at the company caring about the employees. Right. Where they feel valued. Right. And that's what I mean, genuinely yeah. caring and valuing the employees, although it's not all about the employees all the time either. It's this careful balance. Sure. Yeah. Well, if they don't feel valued, you're not going to win awards like that, right? Because they pull into your organization to really fit, try to get a, pull, a feel for the pulse and what's really going on. Well, thank you for sharing the origins because I, to me, there's so much learning in that and in each entrepreneur's story. You know, there, there's different things that cause inspiration and from ideas and knowledge to emotions and feelings. What I gather from yours is there's kind of a series of three different setbacks, if you will, that you learn from in different ways. An idea of being disregarded by a large corporation, hear those stories all the time. Partner 
issues in a business and learning from that, hear that, represent and you know, guide people through, the, through those issues all the time. And then this kind of the shock of being let go when you thought you were doing everything right. So I think it's, you know, it's a really cool, yeah. well-rounded story. So when did you talked about starting improving with your partner? What year was that? Give us a, a reference in time. The very end of two things. Okay. So, wow. So you were a few years into that company. You were talking about the success over four years. You hit economic you know, crash in 08, but you, you were thriving through that. Right. We actually <clears throat> built the company in the Great Recession, and we grew every year through that environment. In fact, we've grown every year in our history. So we've never had a year. Some years it's small, a few percentage points. Other years it's, you know, big growth. But that really, it's core of one of our values, which I call involvement or which we call involvement, and that our success is a consequence of our collective involvement and leaning on each other, no matter what the conditions are, good times, bad times. So, yeah, really have a big team, and I really believe that. Yeah. So you've then managed, at least through a couple of big downturns, you talk about the, the Great Recession. Obviously, we had a global pandemic. What are some of the uh, maybe lessons learned that you could share about how you kept focused to allow the business to continue to grow, even though the world around you is like, you know, in chaos? The first thing is remembering you're a team. Sometimes as entrepreneurs, it's easy to uh, become self-reliant your own role in this and maybe even disregarding the roles of others. So I highly encourage people. And I, I had that lesson early on that I don't have tendencies to do that. In fact, I, I know deep down the exact opposite is true. And pull the team together. And what are we going to do in these crises or these downturns? What are some of the ideas? So that also lets you know you're not alone. It's a good point. Uh, a lot of business owners, including myself, I often feel alone. Sure. But I'm reminded that when I ask for help or I'm a little bit vulnerable, then I'm not alone. I'd simply feel alone, often because of the own barriers that I put up for myself. And that would be the number one thing I would remember in any of these downturns. The second is to remain focused on what is most important. And that's uh, unfortunately... Sometimes that's keeping a business alive and being uh, not only an active member, but um, considered a leader in conscious capitalism movement. People sometimes misinterpret that means we can't do layoffs. We can't because we're a conscious business, how those are contradictory. They're not contradictory. Sometimes we have to make the decisions to keep a business healthy. And, and unfortunately, when you care about the employees, yet at the same time, we have to make decisions because you care about the business and the longevity sure. for the employees. It, it requires difficult decisions. Don't be afraid to make them, but make them with a, a caring heart. Right. But I want to talk more about the conscious capitalism movement, but you're, I think you hit on something that's very important. Not losing sight at the end of the day, you're kind of responsible for a, a healthy, thriving business. Doesn't mean you, you're not going to face hard decisions that affect people's lives, but the other thing I think I've learned, and I'm curious if, if it's been your experience, is when you're faced with those hard decisions, the sooner that you can make them, and not rashly, but with good information, the better off everyone involved is. The employees affected, the company, yourself as a leader, you know, and moving through that process. 
That is true. In, in my career, I've had to do layoffs three times. Okay, one was during the dot-com bust. Sure. And Enron was our largest client. We built their software. Let's not, we don't need to visit that story anymore. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't us, <clears throat> but we built the software. And then the second was during COVID with such a rapid decrease, people pulling back in business and services, just a lot of fear in the industry. And then the most recent one was some restructuring that we had to do this year okay. in, in a weaker and, and very what I call volatile uh, economy. And they're never easy. And I know they're imagined by people that are affected as this is easy, but they're not. But we can't be afraid. And I learned from, I was forced into it with Enron. Overnight, sure. 40% of our business went away in a single day. COVID was the same thing. Sure. Right. We had business units that lost 65% of their business in three weeks. And when you look at that, you're forced into very expedient decisions. But it, it slowed down enough to make the good decisions, right? Right. And don't be afraid because you're going to get negative push back, but treat people with respect and treat people with care because these are real people that have real lives. And it's a very sad thing. It is. It is. And another word I'd add there, treat people with dignity. Yeah. So it is, absolutely. it is not an easy thing to have to go through as the leader making those decisions. So let's talk a little bit about the conscious capitalism movement because you talked about it and referred to it twice. I was fortunate enough shared with you before we started recording to speak at one of their events. I think what that is all about is just so wonderful for the business world. Share a little bit about how you and Improving have been involved in that. I got invited in 2009. And I mentioned earlier, my motivation was kind of shame when we're trying to survive and build the business. But about three and a half years in, I got invited by a good friend that I still do business with and friends today to this CEO summit in Austin. And it was a phenomenal event and it was really shifting in my motivation. The keynote speaker there really let, had a statement at the beginning of his presentation that landed with me. And it was that outside of sales professionals, IT professionals have the worst perception among CEOs. And I got really defensive because we're an IT company and I'm thinking in my head and I'm journaling instead of listening to the presentation. And I kind of realized in our own business, wait a second, our industry has earned some of that, not all of it. Okay. And whether it's perception or reality, we have to own it. And that is when I actually shifted the, my own motivation was to change and shift that perception and not feel victimized by it, but to really turn that into energy on how do we change that as an organization. So I was inspired by that event, okay. by the people at the event, John Mackey of, of Whole Foods, who originated the Tip Kindle Container Store, Doug Rao of, of Trader Joe's. These are really great leaders inside these businesses. And I, and I got inspired by them, plus that message. And I wanted to help the organization. So through helping the organization, the local chapters, speaking on it quite frequently, 
not being ashamed to be a capitalist, but knowing that capitalism yeah. can be used for something even greater than the good it already does, it's become the foundation of our business. I call it the philosophy of our guiding principles. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So taking that, how does that, or how has it, and how does it continue to shape and influence the culture at improving? Well, the first, a year later, when I was with my partner at a conference or a seminar that was being taught by Stephen Covey on trust, I kind of had the epiphany that the reason why we had the perception was because the CEOs didn't trust their IT organizations or partners a lot of the time. So we refocused our value to include this concept of trust. And I consider three of our values our identity, but one of our values, building trust, is our ambition. And so this combination of changing this perception by focusing on trust has reshaped our business for the next decade. 70% of our employees participate in trust pods every week, voluntarily. They don't have to. Trust pod is a group of five to 15 individuals talking about these 13 trust behaviors, how they're going to use them in their daily lives with their clients, our our stakeholders, right? But the biggest effect is how it affects you outside of business, how it affects your relationships at home and with your friends. But this is a relentless pursuit when you think that 70% of our employees voluntarily join these groups and talk about building trust every week. That's that's amazing. What I guess I'm what I'm assuming occurs in the through the participation in these trust pods is it almost a blending of work and work life and family or personal life, and there is allowing for a bridge, which to me is so important because I think it's a mistake when people think I'm going to drop who I am as a person or what goes on in my personal life when I step in the office and vice versa. Because there's a to me a natural blend. It's like that. Let's just acknowledge that it's there. But how can we help them coexist. Uh, I I completely agree. Different conversation, different presentation, but I really don't believe in the concept of work-life balance because it really suggests there's one or the other and they're, they're not connected in any way. I love many of the premises behind it, but I'm a proponent of an integral life Yes. And work is part of your life and family is part of your life and health and maybe faith and or learning, right? Everybody has the areas of their life that they prioritize, but this is a, and work is almost in everybody's life. So how do we integrate these? And these trust pods become a significant way of integrating and we help. I, at least I like to think, and I often get this feedback, that the people who participate in these trust pods, with the intent of applying it at work, benefit even more at home. Yeah, I can see that. So you're a software company. Let's talk about, I mean, just saying that as it is, to me, infers innovation. So what are some of the things that you do as the CEO to help encourage and instill the employees at improving to be innovative, to act innovative, because with some of that, you know, you have to create a safe environment and allow for failure. So what are some of the things that you have done or are doing there at improving to help foster that? I referred to one of our values before that our success is the consequence of our collective involvement. 
And I've referred to trust. One of the trust behaviors is to listen first. And really combining those two things to try to be innovative, to gather ideas, right? As a CEO, you also have to be mindful that you're going to get a lot of good ideas from your employees when you ask. But you can rarely execute on them all, right? So at any given time, there's probably... A hundred things I'm going to put in quotes the world's be doing. Right. Well, but we can only do three or four of them. So I really try to make an effort to listen, have our other executives at the company listen, try to bubble up some of the most important ideas, but also represent what's important to the business and where the important ideas to our employees overlap with the important ideas to the business are those that we take. Because sometimes they don't always... Overlap, right? right? Employees may want something or the business may want something and it doesn't overlap. So that's a way that we prioritize. But I would say of the ideas, of the programs we have in, in place, of the uh, initiatives, we have something called Come Together that is a phenomenal a gathering and creating connection. The vast majority, 90%, don't come from me. They come from the company. Yeah. And it's just listening and, and finding the good and finding the value is often probably in letting your own ego. You don't have to be, this is for the entrepreneurs out there, you don't have to be all, the source of all the good ideas. In fact, I would encourage you to be take more pride on identifying the good ideas yeah. than being the source of the good ideas. There's a, There's a lot of satisfaction, I think, when you can get to that point of being proud of someone you hired that maybe you helped train or develop or created an environment where they could be trained, developed, create their own opportunities and, and, and reward them for the ideas that they come up with. Right. Absolutely. It's a whole new level of satisfaction. It is. Frees you up as the leader to do so many more things. If, if the, if the pressure of all the good ideas is off your shoulders. That, that's right. Or all the accolades is off of mine or other executives. We actually have a homegrown product that's, I believe it's part of our competitive advantage. It's called Engage, but it's about measuring this involvement that I've talked about. And employees get to enter in things that they are doing to benefit the company, often, often while benefiting themselves, and it tracks these things and even assigns values to them so that when they do this, they kind of know how they're participating and, and how they are adding value. And a major part of our profit share is based on that. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, well, as you know, too, right, if you incentivize a behavior, you're likely to get people to behave in that way. So if you incentivize something like that, yeah, I imagine the engagement's really strong. It is for two reasons. The engage creates visibility. So as the CEO of a 1,600-person organization, how do I get visibility to what people are doing? I have detailed visibility into what people, and I look at this. So they often get accolades. So people that are seeking kind of affirmation and things like that's their reward for something like this. Those that might be more utilitarian and might be more motivated by money, there's a money component to it for those people. But not everybody's motivated in one way. So we try to create a mixture. I like that. So changing the subject a little bit, but still to building a company, driving it to success. 
you have to work outside your organization with other stakeholders or you know surrounding yourself with a strong team, you know, external professionals. What are some of the things that you have done to identify key partners, build and maintain those relationships that have benefited, I guess, or allowed for improving to grow to the company it is today? You use a, a very important word for me, which is a stakeholder here. We're big proponents of a stakeholder model, not just a shareholder model. And it's very important, I believe, to make sure, like you would your own employees, that all of the stakeholders have a certain alignment with your values and your ethos. You're never going to get perfect alignment because these organizations have their differences, which are wonderful. But you can kind of tell those that align similarly and those that don't. So when we look at suppliers, where are the suppliers that have a similar set of core values? How do they treat right their own suppliers? Because we treat our suppliers better than our own customers treat us, right? Yeah. Very important. Sure. Right? How are they treating their own suppliers? When we look at partners, right, a lot of partners out there are looking at it. What's in it for me? Despite the rhetoric of us, you can sift through that. Is this a partnership? Are they sometimes willing to go first? Do we go first, right? I view conscious capitalism, the movement this way. It's a partnership, but we were going first all of the time without resentment, right? Right. Yet in the long game, that ends up paying, even though that was not our purpose. So looking for this alignment becomes key, just like you would with an employee. Makes sense. It makes sense. I like the uh, treat the suppliers better than the customers because without those suppliers, you can't serve your customers. No, right. Well, I'm not saying we treat our customers worse than our suppliers. I said that we treat our suppliers better than our customers treat us. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because we give, we try to treat our suppliers as if they were a customer. Yeah. Makes sense. Like I said, they're integral to you delivering on your promise. Very integral. Let's talk a little bit about leadership style. How would you describe your leadership style? And maybe I'm probably pretty certain based on this conversation, how you would describe it today versus maybe 15 years ago and, and maybe some of the things that occurred to cause or help you evolve to where you are today. I would describe myself as very positive, high energy. I genuinely care about people, and I believe, and this isn't hubris, but I think many people would agree that I rely on inspiration, too, and I think I'm fairly inspiring in the right circles, both one-on-one and and at least at, at a larger level, but when I look at some of the lessons, how that inspiration has evolved over time is very important and it's kind of very different. When I was younger, I tended to rely on kind of leading by example. And if I did everything, then people would be inspired and follow. And that works to some degree. And that's a common source of inspiration for people. Like, oh my gosh, look how hard Curtis is working. And right, he really cares about the business. I might do the same thing. But I do believe that only goes so far. It's kind of like the command model. And I think even Jim Collins talks about it. You can only get a company so far if it's the 
charge up the hill type of leader, right? You could be successful, but to a point. And to a point. And I switched to trying to inspire with vision, the vision of what we could be, the vision maybe of what I personally can be. And I started with my own personal life books and creating vision for myself, but switched that to the organization inspired by a leadership group training, staying out of Dallas, and to even put together a 10-year vision for the the business. And so today we have a 10-year vision, we have three-year visions, we have one-year vision. These are all written, but I I tend to be able to see things, see the good in things. And that's one thing, that's why I said I'm positive. So that's, I, I see the good and can inspire around the good versus the negative or polarizing concepts yeah. in our world today. What I like about that, because I can identify with that, is that positive attitude is kind of how to interpret what you're saying, is, is that you're in control of that, right? You can control whether you're really going to bring up positive mindset to whatever the circumstance is or not. And you choose to say, I'm going to look for the positive and then try to be inspirational about what we can do in this circumstance. Yes. And I think that's effective leadership, right? Positivity is a choice. Yes. Right? And whether it's in our personal life or our professional life, we can, in almost any circumstance, choose to find something of gratitude in the circumstance. There are things, I get it, that we it's too hard to, to find. And I'm not diminishing those. But for most things in people's lives, and, and that becomes a choice. I've also found... And for anybody listening to this, think of your three favorite managers, leaders you ever worked for. Would any of your favorites ever be described as negative? I've asked this more than a thousand times. And outside somebody hearing this and trying to prove me wrong, (laughs) nobody ever, not a single person has ever said, yes, their favorite was negative. It is something is a of the most effective leaders. Positivity is one of what we have found to be the six most common traits. It didn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. It didn't surprise me at all. So let's kind of just to wrap up this uh, conversation. What I always like to ask guests to do is we've got an audience of aspiring entrepreneurs or maybe just started their own business. What are one or two nuggets of you know? I guess takeaways that you would say, hey, if you're out there doing this or thinking about it, if you don't do anything else, do at least this one or two two things or maybe avoid X and learn from my mistake. Any, anything that you can draw upon in, in your experience of you know two, I guess, two companies, three companies now that you could share? First, I would say believe in yourself, but not too much. And remember... Remember deeply in your heart that you're part of a team. And while the pack may be nothing without the wolf, you have to remember that the wolf is also nothing without the pack. And these things come aligned. So it's a team effort. And very early on to, and this is a radical idea, I shared 87% of the company. And this was not just me. This was my partner coming alongside saying, let's do. So my partner and I combined had about 23% of the company voting units. So we could be voted off the island at any time. Interesting. That is sharing in the success of the company. 
And that's one of our tenets today of creating a good work environment that we really did share from an equity perspective. You may not have to share that much, okay? Right. But it worked for us. Yeah. And I'm not and I'm not going to complain. But I, what I found most commonly, the most owners that we've found, true owners in any business, has been six. And we've talked to hundreds of businesses. Yet we have hundreds of them and we're privately held company. Yeah. No, that's impressive. And uh, definitely putting your money where your mouth is, right? About trusting the collective group to be successful because they'll benefit from it as much as you will. And then they, we found people have stayed, they've benefited, and they're inspired often to work yeah. harder towards a collective goal. That's great. That's great advice. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you. So on the personal side, we'll lighten up the, the mood a little bit. So what was your first job? Oh, First job was mowing lawns because I got in trouble as a kid. Don't want to share that full story except me and my brother <laughs> created some napalm, burned some people's tires, thank goodness <laughs> only, and I ended up mowing lawns for a long time to, for free. to <laughs> buy the tires back and all of that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds that yeah, there's a deeper story there for sure. <laughs> okay. Tex Mex or barbecue, what do you prefer? Barbecue. Okay. No hesitation there. I like uh, it. Love barbecue. And then the last question, if you could take a 30-day sabbatical, where would you go and what would you do? Wow. I don't know where I'd go, but I know who I'd go with. And I would take my two kids. Okay. Colin and Autumn. Awesome. That's great. No, no better people to spend time with, right? That's right. All right. Curtis, thank you for sharing your story and, and being so open about what you've done through your career, the setbacks, the the successes and what you're doing now to build improving to the, the amazing company it is. Thank you so much for having me today. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.